Welcome to Maiden A to Z. My name is Eric. And Jonathan is here. And we also have with us... Henrik, over here. Yes. Yes. Right. A face that should be familiar to all of you, or rather a voice. A I voice, guess. yeah. Yeah, more of a voice, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's not hardly even familiar to us, because he's always recording with a blank, uh, black screen, like yeah, a mysterious third I part. Ha- I have this very expensive vintage uh, equipment that doesn't allow for the images, so... <laughs> all yeah. right. Yeah, it's also called a crappy computer. Kicking yeah. it old school. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, not, not to brag, but I have seen Henrik's face several times. <laughs> yeah, Many times, in fact. So I know actually, what it looks like. Yeah, mm-hmm. we even worked together. Or I was working, at least. He was being a musician, yeah. which is mm-hmm. semi-work, I guess. But I yeah, that's it. Uh, we are <laughs> it's, made it's up in for A debate. to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are made in A to C, and we are back again, recording. Uh, climbing towards the end of the Bs. Feels pretty mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, now it's actually... Like, like the concept actually has proven to be working so far. Yeah, you know, we have been able to tackle the songs in this order, right? People seem to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what could we say? Um, we have uh, two songs today from uh, different eras. Uh, you know, is way different, perhaps like uh, 15, 16 years in between. Also, okay. very different kinds of songs. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I mean, Henrik is our esteemed expert on 80s and 90s Maiden, so this is like a bit of a trial here, a bit of a test going into uh, 2000s, and like uh, the, actually the third album of the new millennia, which yeah. would be A Matter of Life and Death, and for us also as a podcast, first time touching on, on this record, A Matter of Life and Death, that is. And mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't really heard Eric's lowdown on this either, like, uh, I remember you telling me something about accepting the, the album as it was released, right? Uh, no, I mean, I think that um, initially when it came out, it was it was very. Uh, I, I get excited because you know you, when you hear a new Maiden song, it's always kind of exciting. And then it's, so the initial excitement made me really enjoy the first single. That's the reincarnation of Benjamin Brig. And then when I got the whole album, it was a little different than I was expecting. So it took a little while for me to just to to sort of you know get, get my head get my head around it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty. I mean, most of the songs are, you know, they're they're. It's it's essentially. I mean, even the there's there's one song under five minutes. I think <laughs> the thing. Um, the first correct here. The yeah, opener. and everything everything else is everything else is you know, these long these sort of long. You know. Yeah, and we'll be onto that opener pretty soon. Actually, it'd be an interesting talk for sure. But yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask Hendrik. Like, you could be brutally honest here. You don't have to have a facade. Are you even familiar with a matter of life and death? Well, I am familiar with it, of course, because I yeah. have I have listened to I listened to the albums when they're released, and then I consequently go to the gigs as well. And I mean, this one yeah. is <laughs> approaching fifteen years ago now. So uh, and you did see the the gig where they performed the whole thing. Yeah, I, I went to all three of them in Stockholm. Mm. Yeah, I guess as bo- did I. I, yeah, I guess both on, of you did. Oh, missed, all three missed, of them. I missed out on Gothenburg th- that time because I thought three times in Stockholm was enough for my economy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, I have to admit I missed it, and I'm quite bummed about this. I was mm -hmm. studying sound at this time. I was living up in the way north of Sweden, about a thousand k north of here, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I missed it. And I think I was honestly also the only time that I was wavering a bit as a Maiden fan. I bought the album instantly. I kind of I was psyched and you know kind of hyped. I sort of liked Benjamin Brig enough to be, but then it didn't didn't work for me. First few listens didn't work mm. at all. And we'll get into why maybe, and also how, I, of course, my opinion has been mildened or changed over time. But yeah, it's it's a, a very bloated album, I still believe. Yeah. Super long, everything. I had a hard time getting into it because of the length of the songs, actually, because it yeah. felt, it felt it's, it's a huge chunk to digest in that sense. Yeah. But when I listen to the P3 recording of, of that gig, I wish I was there. It's very cool to hear them actually perform a full album. Yeah. And, even that late into your career to do that, it's it's pretty bold, I would say, you know, it st stands out. And I even remember Adrian recalling that he felt that it was a bit of a nut idea, you know, a bit of a mm. crazy idea to, to do it as such. But, you know, Steve's idea. After that, a lot of other bands started doing the same thing. Yeah, but usually with like old legacy albums, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, but sure. Yeah, that, that's, that's or, more, yeah. Yeah. Uh, rarely with brand new albums, but I have I've had experienced this. For example, our old guest Don Svane, he did this when I saw them with Nightingale. They played the entirety of Invisible in two thousand three or whenever it was, you know. So it does happen, but uh, rarely on such a high scale and with all those fans in the locale that are there for a standard Maiden mm. show, and they get this. I've heard many testimonies from you know angry, frankly angry fans, uh, especially in America, that they didn't enjoy this. You know, they wanted the traditional arc of a Maiden show and here you get them playing this new album front to back. But I think it's a pretty cool choice. I mean, it's very, 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 uh, it's not as all, I mean, like you get bands like Slayer did uh, Raiding Blood all the way through yeah. and Metallica did it, Mass Puppets and so on and so forth. And that's not as all as risky or as brave because that's always, that's obviously going to work. Yes. This, could, yeah. this could have easily just not have worked. Mm. <laughs> for, sure, for sure. And I mean, Raining Blood, you'll done in less than half an hour anyway. So Yeah. 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 <laughs> Great album, and that, and, however. And that's the two first Iron Maiden songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> couple, couple of tracks on, on this mm. album, A Matter of Life and Death. And uh, we talked about album co album covers last week. What do you think about this album cover, Henrik? Uh, I don't think much about it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't and I don't think much about it. So that's two, two different things. No, I don't know. Uh -huh. I've, I've never really gotten into the, the newer style albums. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm an old fart in that sense. Yeah. yeah, and you're not alone. You're not alone in this. Uh, but I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty cool had it been more hand-drawn-ish, I think. Mm. Could have been a very detailed um, hand-drawn type thing, like, um, I don't know, Power Slave or Summer in Time yeah. even, if they had, you know, worked on it in that way. And I don't know, maybe it's a little bit snobbish to slag down on digital work. Because I think it, it is. Be, yeah. uh, it can be as good. I don't have to be mm. a snob about that. But in the case of Iron Maiden, I think... These more digital cover sleeves have not been as as mind boggling as I guess you know. It's just more. Hey, no, yeah, hey there it is. You know, you look at it and there it is. I, I don't know if it's the if it's the actual quality of them or if it is. I mean, we have our sort of like nostalgia about the old eighties album covers, iconic covers, you know, and mm -hmm. then the newer ones. I don't know if if we don't accept them in the same sort of like uh, critiqueless way, whatever. There's some sense to it because Brave New mm. World for me and Eric, we like it a lot, the, the yeah. cover art of Brave New World. And I don't know if for you is it is it as 
Is it the same as the rest of the 2000s, or what do you feel about Brave New World no, cover? I mean, I do, I do think it feels a lot more like an Iron Maiden cover than, for example, Virtual Eleven or X Factor did. X Factor being mm, yeah. photography and crap. It's just really weird. But uh, so I would say that um, Brave New World is a decent cover, and Dance of Death would have been if they were, hadn't had all those CGI. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> creepy yeah, things on it. Yeah, just add in the middle, then it would have been a, a clean, you know, yeah. three out of five album cover. But mm. now well, I feel the same about this one, though, because if you just look at it, I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, at first glance, it's not even. You kind of have to go. Oh, they forgot to put Eddie on it. Then you go, oh, yeah, there he is. But you know, they made Eddie more prominent, or even just Eddie alone in a tank, mm. slightly more <laughs> visible, would be more interesting than this because this this is kind of it's kind of it's kind of you know, kind of boring. I think it's kind of a yeah. And to stay mm. on the superficial, on the on the surface of things, was this when Bruce started wearing a beanie on stage? Because you saw the tour, I didn't. No, he did not in this one. Oh, okay. I don't but think he did. He did. He had a lot of costume changes as well. <laughs> yeah, because I never understood that beanie on stage it doesn't work, especially not on Bruce Dickinson. But hey, it's just my taste, I guess. Well, I, I think mean, it does. He, I think it's, and I think his taste in in uh, fashion has been sort of like a, a parallel track to the real to reality. So I don't know. It's, it's random, but it's fun too, you know. Yeah. Bruce should do Bruce, I guess, and we should yeah. do we should do brighter than a thousand suns. Yeah. That's the song at hand. That and is indeed. Yeah. Uh, to your point, there, Henrik. Have I heard mm. it? Yes, I have. I mean, I listened to it way back, and mm. uh, uh, never stood out to me. Listened to it a bit more focused, obviously, in preparation for this, and I still have a hard time remembering the song, to be honest. Which is mm. what Eric said about two a.m. way back. So mm. I mean, not to. Not to piss anybody off, but um, I don't really like it. Not really. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to send the ball over to someone else for now. Yeah, yeah. To even I out think, the mood. Yeah, but if I if I can offer my fifty cents here, I think it's as a song. It's it suffers a bit from being a bit too long, a bit too many parts, different parts in it, and there's a middle bit that I don't really understand. That's a sort of like double. Double tempo yeah, thing. Okay, yeah. That doesn't really. X equals C equals three. That part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I've never got around the fact why Bruce doesn't sing to the meter in the phrasing of it because it's a it's a in seven four the riff I guess or so seven eight. Yeah. But yeah. And when he sings it, he sort of sings it in seven eight. But then he makes one bar of it, an eight bar, and then shortens the seven bar, and it just sounds so weird. He doesn't really mm. know where he is. Uh, I mean, when you get to the to the in, the intro bit where there's no drums and stuff, it's um, and I've listened to live versions, and they do get lost because he's not really uh, attaching really. to the phrasing. So it's slightly unfinished in a sense. Like they would have needed a bit more time to, let's say, Martin Birch was there. And he, he told them, like, this doesn't really gel, you know. We yeah, might have or, to do something or here. if any, any one of them would have, you know, listened and said, oh, wouldn't it be better if you tried to follow the, sort of like the phrasing of the riff or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But then again, who am I, who am I to t tell them what's right or wrong? I just think it would have worked better. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're going to bring in Eric's opinion, but I would also say just to even it out a little bit that I do like the main riff. And, uh, and that kind of melody in it, it sounds very typical mm -hmm. of Maiden, late Maiden, but yeah. it is a good riff. And there's also, uh, after that silly part with the um, formulas and double time, there's mm -hmm. also a very traditional type Maiden melody that I do dig. It mm -hmm. swings and it's nice, it brings me the Maiden mood. So, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not uh, pissed off when I listen to this song, it's just that, ah, it could have been better. What do you say, Eric? 
Well, I'm going to be uh, coming from the other side in this one, I think, because I actually really like this one. And I think one of the reasons is uh, I might not have, though, if I had. Um, here's what happened when they, when the album was on its way out um, during the rollout of it, they kind of released. Uh, they did like a thing where they released like a couple songs, like one song. The, 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 tr- the three songs that were initially released were, if I recall, were Reincarnation of Benjamin Brig. And then the other single was, I think the other single was Different World, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then and then I think, I can't remember what, I, I know that they did sort of, they, their idea was they were going to release a song like per week up until, up, up, leading up to the release. Um, and this was one of the only ones I, I said, I said I didn't want to spoil it too much for me, but I did listen to, to this one. And I, I might not have st- stood out at all if I just listened to it in the sort of, you know, in the midst, midst of the others. Yeah, sequence uh, of the but, album. But, yeah. But I did really. I mean, I, the, the kind of the, uh, the the intro riff is really cool. I like. It's very fun to play. I at one point, at least at that point, did did try to learn the whole thing, the entire song. I, I think I did most of it, except maybe the solos. Um, I uh, I think even that kind of the weird double thing kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, Lyric wise, I think it's that but that part still works because there's everything there kind of makes sense in the context of what the thing's about. It's true, actually. Uh, Mm. Uh, and uh, I mean, yeah. The, the only, the, I mean, the only thing that the, the, the only thing the middle that that middle du- that double time section kind of annoys me is it kind of feels like uh, that they kind of went out of their way just to make make it less straightforward for the sake of being less straightforward because they just have a kind of make it kind of. I mean, I know they were kind of going for a more prog kind of vibe on this, so I think maybe it was like being complicated for the sake of being complicated. It felt kind of. Uh, yeah, and that other, yeah, yeah, but I think I, th- I think they could have done that thing easier, or better, or not easier, maybe, but they could have done something different there and still got the maybe the same kind of effect without just sort of, you know, like when you hear uh, kids who buy their first eight string guitars and make these really insane, you know, Meshuggah esque kind of songs that aren't particularly fun to listen to because it's just complicated for the sake of being complicated. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe they want it to be a bit symphonic just like the mo- most of this album, the rest of the album pretty much is, except for Different World, that they mm-hmm. want to have these different movements and parts. It happens sometimes with Late Maiden that I feel that they're going for that, and I understand that because that's part of what they are to do this. But sometimes it's forced upon a song, and in this case I think it's a bit forced upon the song. Because mm. there's, there's other places in the album where it works, it works better than it works here. Definitely. Mm. I guess this is a, sort of like a S- Smith, Dickens and Harris song, isn't it? Or Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to sort of, like, sort of like listen in in the back of my mind to which part is who who's behind what part, and yeah, maybe it's a matter of Smith Dickinson like having, having the bulk of an idea, and then Steve coming in and adding his stuff, or Bruce coming in and adding stuff to a Steve Adrian thing. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, that could, that could be true. Mm. Like my guess would be Riff Adrian. Yeah, uh, lyrics, Bruce, arrangement, Steve, mm. but that's com- with no evidence. At, and the melody, usual, Bruce, know. I think as well, because it- probably yeah, yeah. yeah. Now the, I think I'm I, I, even before I say this, I think I'm I'm think I'm wrong, and I think that when I learned the song, I I made a mistake. But isn't the intro intro riff? Isn't that in drop D? Because that's mm-hmm. how I played it. At least I used to play that way. I think. Uh, not according to Bruce, because Bruce said that it was the way first time, right? And if, if you turn it, it should fail. So uh, unless Bruce forgot, it's. Or, I think he'd know better than me, probably, to be yeah. fair. So <laughs> unless he forgot, it's it's in E standard, but it could mm. be wow. in the key of D. I haven't played it, so I don't know. I think that this is also one of two songs that I'm aware of, and they're both on this album, 
where one of the one of the three guys there, uh, three amigos, does um, during the solo uh, a whammy pedal is very briefly used. Right. Yeah, I noticed it too. And also to your point, I know that Adrian did tune in drop D sometimes live as early as yeah. 2000, but I think he stopped doing that. But he did it for some yeah. songs like uh, I think Ratchild. Number of the Beast. Number of the Beast, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could be the case that he's in drop D for this song, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, but yeah. Mm. So yeah, so there's the, like I said, there's two, I think it's like, it's just a very brief kind of bit in the solo, like maybe just like a second or like a couple of notes even, that, that they're very obviously um, uh, a whammy pedal, which is also seems kind of a... Experimental. Uh, yeah, and they also did that again on, on a song called Lord of Light. Uh, further on in this, uh, on the, later on the record that we'll get to in about five years. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe so look, so look forward to look forward to that, kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, uh, we haven't touched on the lyrics either, and I think it's the best part of the song. It's the most interesting part of the song because, yeah, we're new on the album, right? It's a war theme album, very obviously, and mm. in this song you have the kind of the the birth of the nuclear bomb. I would say yeah. is the theme of the song and. Uh, I also quite enjoy 80s Rush, the Canadian band, and they have the song Manhattan Project, and I believe this song touches on on that very project. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's that's mm. what. It's, yeah, and uh, yeah, that was the creation of the atomic bomb, like a conjunction, I believe, in between UK, Canada, and the US, and somehow Einstein was involved, I think, as well. Do you know anything about are, are this? You, are you talking about the Manhattan Project now, or yeah? Yeah. Um, I don't. Well, Einstein was involved in that. They used a lot of the stuff that he had conjured up. <laughs> conjured up is not the right word, but well, anyway. <laughs> Wasn't he flown into the states though? Wasn't Einstein flown into New York to join? I don't know. I think he had moved to the states well before that. Ah, okay, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so makes sense. I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I didn't know him personally, so I don't know. But <laughs> sadly, uh, yeah, I, that would be yeah. Cool. But the Manhattan Project, yeah, that was the the. U.S. and the Allies rushed to to get the atomic bomb before before the Germans would, if they would have. Yeah, and uh, they did. Yeah, and obviously <laughs> it's quite bright the the explosion of an atomic bomb. Yeah, I remember hearing it was a documentary way back that uh, these soldiers that kind of tried the first ones, uh, how they had these instructions to kind of just duck and cover from the light, or they would be blinded by it. Mm. And how they said that it was not so much the sound or the impact, but the light was the most intense part of this creation, this bomb. No, so possibly. It gels quite well with the title, right? Mm. I'm looking, trying to, I'm trying to learn very, very quickly, learn more about the Manhattan Project so I can be sound intelligent, but I'm not going to bother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Oppenheimer was the guy. Yeah. Uh, the main guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was the lead singer I, in the Manhattan Project. He was, yes, he was, yes, he was. Yeah, he was. The, he was. The, he was their Bruce Dickinson, if you will. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot. There's a. The, I the only bit I do know that or I know I. I have known more about this than I know at the moment. I should point that out. I know there's probably a lot of people probably screaming at their <laughs> screens at the moment or whatever because they know more. Obviously, more than <laughs> I guess we do. Uh, but um, I think that initially a lot of people sort of after they did, you know, were successful in what they did, uh, very much regretted having done that. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it definitely changed the world, maybe not not necessarily for the better. Um, exactly. I mean, just, mm. I think I've read that just a month later, they had the bombs Little Boy and Fat Man dropped over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
yeah. which yeah. is not really something to be proud of, I think. No. No. It's uh, it's a bit like a premiere of a, a very, very malicious show, you know, that brings no joy to anyone. I think there's there's a quote by someone. Um, I know I don't know where I'm getting this, uh, and it might be from if someone can identify. It might be as dumb as just from something I heard in a movie, but I don't know. Apparently, some of the people involved with this project were also involved with um, building, uh, you know, rockets for um, sending you know sending rockets up into space. That's what a lot of them wanted to do initially, apparently, or at least that's that's some of them had that sort of um, uh, uh, were involved in that kind of stuff. And the idea being that you know when the when the well, they did drop the bomb. They, you know, said the you know the rocket worked, you know, worked perfectly. Just was aimed at the wrong planet. And unfortunately, now that I said that, I'm real. I'm realizing now I was talking about another bomb. So ignore all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a reference to something else. Well, it's a reference. It's fine. a reference to the V V two bomb. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So there we yeah. go. Just ignore mm. all that and if, if, or edit it into an episode later where we talk about that. Yeah. We have. Yeah. Uh, you guys are fans of Tail Gunner, I know. And at the end of Tail Gunner, Bruce sings like "No more bombs, just one big bomb" or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That's also a reference to the atomic bomb. I, I do believe. The, the Enola Gay was my last try, and Enola Gay was the uh, airplane that dropped the bomb. Oh, yeah. Okay. There we go. Mm. But that's for that's for Tail Gunner. That's even even more in the future. Yeah, if we're way still alive, the then yeah, different. We'll be different men at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Old I guess. Men. Older men, older men. Older men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. yeah, you have some cool lyrics here. Yellow sun, its evil twin. In the black, the wings deliver him. We will split our souls within. Atom seed to nuclear dust is riven. It's pretty good poetry, I would say. I mean, to write poetry yeah, yeah. regarding the atomic bomb, mm. this is pretty much how you should do it. I think. Uh, out of the universe, a strange love is born. Unholy union, Trinity reformed. Uh, I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds cool. Well, I mean, I, I, again, this is. I mean, I'm. I'm sh- I mean, cause it seems like the kind of thing where there's like all all these little bits that don't really, you know, make sense. Probably would make sense if we were more well versed in the actual. Because um, the kind of since Bruce kind of likes to get kind of real, you know detailed and real nerdy about the stuff you write yeah. so i imagine there's a lot of stuff there we're just not it's going over our heads it also it doesn't really have to make sense it works i like mm. the lyrics it's the best part of the song for me flat out definitely the best part of the song then maybe that would kind of forgive bruce for messing up the seven eight figure you know <laughs> but then there, there's a lot of references here that are about specifically manhattan stuff i mean i'm just reading the lyrics now so it's i mean Whatever would Robert have said to his God? I mean, that's Robert Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool song theme. Really cool. Mm, indeed. It's like needed on this album. And I think in the context of the whole thing, a matter of life and death, if you get into the when you listen to it on vinyl, for example, you kind of get into the the odd flow of this album and the and the dragginess and bloatedness of it, then most of it really works for me. So mm. like strangely enough, it's an album's album, but that said, it's also a challenging album to listen to from start to finish because it's so long and uh, quite draggy. But so it's kind of the album that uh, I would say challenges me the most. It's there and justice for all, if you will, you know, a more challenging <laughs> listen, you know, in, in a sense it is, but it's not as good yeah. as, as justice, I would say, but uh, it's a cool album. And again, we're going in with a song that might not be the song I wanted to go in with, but that's the beauty of A to Z. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, I mean, put it this way, up until earlier today, I hadn't listened to this particular song in quite a while. 
and I don't imagine I will. I mean, I mean, usually I listen to it when I listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when I do go back to this album, otherwise it's other, there's other songs I tend to revisit more than this, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still, I, you know, I still like it. I just, um, there's other stuff that's better of yeah. course, but I mean, you know, that's the way it is. That's I put up a poll this morning in friends of the beast on Facebook, Carl, little yeah. group, and, um, a matter of life and death was like a landslide victory in the poll that was asking for favorite album after brave new world. And uh, yeah, I saw that almost yeah. half the votes went to went to this album. So it is a popular album. A lot of fans love it. And uh, it is a very maiden album. And After I mean, all, ma- yeah, all made it themselves done. like it as well. So yeah, and uh, uh, they choose to play the, play it in its play the complete album live. So it must yeah. be special in some way. And also, I've said already before, but it, it, it's okay to repeat it is that my highlight of the legacy show, the legacy of the beast was indeed um for the greater good of god from this mm. album among all those classic songs you know songs like where eagles there flight of icarus revelations sign of the cross and that song was the highlight so mm. there is some beauty to this album to be discovered and i think for me it was easy to kind of neglect it at first like ah it's mm. bloated it's not they're not gonna be as good again somehow you know but then it's worth a listen i think it's worth bringing it out and sitting through the whole thing because it is a creation of its own, although it feels somewhat rushed together in a sense, like they should have maybe spent a bit more time on it. I think Bruce's voice sounds, I think it's possibly the worst sound of his voice. If you take away the raspy era, he sounds very strained Mm. on this album, very strained. Like he could have maybe altered the melodies to get more depth and more, more, more bottom. It was recorded very quickly. I, seem to remember reading that they had the studio booked and they had sort of like a month or so to spare when they were finished with it, Mm -hmm. which might account for, I mean, the, the, I'm not going to use the word harsh, but the unfinishedness of the film, because most of it, I mean, a lot of it was live, I mean, it was live takes edited together. So I don't know how the vocals were presented in that way, if they were also recorded yeah. in the same I just simultaneously yeah on that note I remember Bruce bragging that is very little overdubs on it it's just yeah. pretty much his voice one take of it or I mean mm. not one take but one track of it and yeah. possibly one take in quite a few instances so it sounds super live Steve famously decided not to master it mm. which I think it was a cool it was a cool choice as an audio engineer I applaud that because a good mix shouldn't need a master Mm. theoretically you know just in theory i've never made such a mix so you know but uh, it is a good mix it sounds to me sounds really cool i only mm-hmm. think that they could have worked harder on the compositions layering up a little bit with the voice perhaps trying a few different takes at a melody because it sounds like everything is his first the first thing that came to his mind or harris's mind if you will mm. it, it sounds like they could have tried more uh, i don't know uh, maybe I'm overly critical here, Eric. What do you think? No, I mean, I think there's there's, there's definitely some of that. I think, uh, and I mean, I know, for instance, in the, in the sort of doc when you bought the uh, the, the the sort of slightly uh, limited edition uh, version of the CD, uh, you got like a, a an extra disc with the documentary yeah. for the making of it. And I mean, there's there's several instances where they were uh, they mentioned that. They, they, you know, they work, they go home, they come back the next day and they're raring to go. And then Kevin would go, no, no, we, 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 we're done. We got it all yesterday. 
mm-hmm. they kind of make it like, oh, okay, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of. But I think it maybe that's also like they did. Maybe they did get it, but they could maybe gotten something better if they pushed yeah. further. Maybe it's interesting mm-hmm. because I think Kevin is a happy-go-lucky guy. Kevin Shirley, that is. But mm-hmm. he's kind of like, yeah, it's good. You know, why bother? Why worry? That kind of guy. And I think for Steve, it's very pleasing to work with a guy like that. Oh, yeah, why worry? Sounds like Maiden. Yeah. Sounds great. Mm. And in some instances, I think it could be a good method of working or good working yeah, ethic, but, other, but yeah. not always. Mm. I think I think all I think all the fine adjustments should or would come from within the band anyway. In a situation where, I mean, that's the argument why the early '80s album sounded a lot more, you know, concise because Bruce and Steve were arguing all the time. And mm. sort of like compromises were made, whereas nowadays it feels like they're not really their 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 egos are not clashing in the same way when they're sixty years well fifty years old back then. So probably a lot more live and let live type attitude. I think exactly. That's, that's and what I you think hear. they're quite happy with it. It's probably healthier. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, they they mentioned in the documentary for this album that this is the only album. Because usually, apparently, Steve and Nico have a huge mm. fight during the recording of every single album. But this one, they didn't. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the notion of Nico mm. in a fight. He's always entertaining when he's fighting. With that Yorkshire ac- ac- accident again. Not accident, accent. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, is this on the list? I'm going ahead and saying no. No, I'd say no. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah, I mean, we're, I, think we're, I, think, I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Still an interesting one to touch on. And uh, yeah, I also tried to come off as intelligent and Google the Manhattan Project half an hour ago before starting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> at least I got to drop. I, that's, that's, that's slightly better than me doing it while we're, we're, doing, while it, we're yeah. doing it. At least I got to drop the reference, right? And mm-hmm. uh, from that song yeah. to uh, back to uh, 1990 again, with a uh, kind of, I would say, massive hit single, right? It uh, was a number one single. Uh, it was their only yeah. number one single for, mm-hmm. after that point, at least, I imagine. Penned by Bruce Dickinson, it's called Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. What's your memory of this one, Henrik? My memory is that I had heard about the song in 1989 when it was when Bruce record, first recorded it for the soundtrack to the Nightmare on Elm Street movie number five. Yeah, mm. five. And uh, and I also read that uh, the song wasn't going to be released because they wanted to use it with Iron Maiden. So when I got the No Prayer for the Dying album, the first song I put on to listen to was Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. I did not start with Tailgunner, which is really mm. strange knowing what I know now because I think Tailgunner is a totally... Was is, that on is, CD? Is did, you, did you just track bought, skip I, on a CD? I bought or? it on, L, on LP. So, oh, I, so you track skip on the LP, on the vinyl. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. odd. Yeah, and you were really eager to hear this song then. <laughs> I was. So, yeah. um, What did you think? What was your reaction? My reaction was, this sounds exactly like the, the beginning of, uh, the uh, chords on the verses sound exactly like the chords in the intro to the song No Lies on Tattooed Millionaire, mm. which is also a Bruce Dickinson song. So I don't know why he chose to yeah. use exactly the same chords twice within a half, half a year from one another. Yeah, I heard somewhere that Yannick was involved in chord choices as well i think kind of he might harmon- have been but then why why would he also have harmonizing it the same same chords it's, it's really weird the only difference is that the bass doesn't move along with them on the mm. no lies version that also could be a, a time a time sort of restraint thing they, they were kind of under pressure to you know finish tattoo millionaire quickly possibly i don't know 
I don't think there was any pressure with Tattoo Millionaire. It was just an album that they made just because the that the publisher that offered Bruce to do the Nightmare on End Street track they liked liked it so much yes. that they offered him to to make a solo album, and he said, "Of course I can," and he didn't know what to do with it, so he called up Yannick and. That's how it happened. Oh yeah, well, fair enough. Right, yeah, yeah. He he said that he had ten songs and he had one or two. Yeah, I remember exactly. him. I remember him admitting to this, and I would have done the same. You know, mm. kind of you know, just eager to do something. A project pops up. Yeah, sure, we have songs. No yeah, problem. Definitely. <laughs> I have the best songs, the best guitars, the best numbers. <laughs> so Donald Trump was. Yeah, last time we talked about Trump, we didn't mention the word Trump once. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. It's fine. I think everyone knew who probably, you were talking about there. Probably, but there you go. Be quick or be dead. That was the episode. That was a fun one. But, but yeah, we're back oh, yeah. on um, No Prayer. Feels pretty good because I had a No Prayer run lately, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Like, I've listened to that album a lot lately. It's climbing up and down always for me. Sometimes it is the worst. Sometimes it's not. Mm. And uh, I've been kind of into it. Uh, some songs I've I've lost again. I lost touch with Running Silent. I don't know why I ever liked that song. It was crap last time I heard it, but yeah. That's in a mm. while, so I will change that probably. But Bring Your Daughter is an amazing song, I think. I love this song. I don't know what happened. Uh, it used to be this vulgar rock song in Iron Maiden's catalog that I didn't really catch on to, but uh, I don't know. I really dig it. I think it's one of their best in this rowdy style, you know, this kind of strip club rock or something like that. Uh, with that bass, uh, Steve pumping on the low E and uh, the chords on top of that, uh, it's kind of it goes, it goes somewhere. And then they have the Marianne Faithful part towards the end that I really dig as well. You know, <laughs> obviously yeah. it's not a Marianne Faithful yeah. part, but mm. she did something similar with uh, Metallica and The Memory Remains mm. uh, 10 years later or so, five years later. But uh, Seven years later. Seven years later. But it's really cool. Mm. It gets a little Seven Sunny with that, med- that kind of menacing melody. And then, you know, to kind of contrast that with the strip club hard rock that the rest of the song represents to me it's a good song i don't know i like mm. it yeah i'm not sure what i think about it actually i think it's it's i mean it's it's as you say it's one of those rock rocking songs like from here to eternity or but i hate yeah. that one i hate from here to eternity <laughs> yeah well i mean it w- i don't know when it's difficult to know it's it's difficult to tell what what makes a song and and breaks a song for me really because yeah. Nowadays, I would never, I would never listen to this one, and I, and I was really keen on it back, back when mm. it was released. Reverse for me, yeah, yeah. It was also one of the first Maiden songs I have ever heard. On, I think it was on Best of the Beast. Okay. So yeah. I heard it when I was twelve, but uh, then you know that wasn't really what I liked. I liked mm. things like Hallowed or later the Ghost of the Navigator, you know, the melodic stuff, and this was not up my alley whatsoever, really. But uh, there's something about this song that I have come to really like, and I think it would be a cool live song. And it, they did in 03. It was really good. Mm. And uh, that, it, was a surpri- that was really a surprise when it showed up. Did any of you guys catch that? Did any of you guys, were you there with me at uh, 03? In Insta- yeah, we were there. We were both there. Oh, cool. They didn't know each other at that time. Yeah. No, I did not, not, none of us knew each other at that point. But also, like a year before that, when Bruce was uh, on a solo uh, tour, he, he did it, he did it as mm. well, if I recall. Which is not surprising, you know, obviously. What do you think um, of it, Eric? So, I, I like it. I um, It's different, and that's kind of what makes it kind of fun. Uh, it has a very, you know, kind of spooky kind of vibe to it. If the, and that's what, I, you know, obviously, it's, you know, it's written for a horror movie, so that's not surprising. Um, 
I think I think I I enjoy Bruce's solo version better. Mm-hmm. I'd have to say. Um, but yeah, it's fun and it's uh you know it's it's, it's like again it's like I don't know. Um, I don't revisit it all too often. Uh, it, it, it depends what kind of mood I'm in. Because if I'm if I'm in the mood for, it's like if I'm in a kind of like it's, it's like if I'm in a mood for a here from here to eternity and that kind of stuff, like more rocket, you know, like sort of rock and roll kind of maiden, that kind of like or ACDC kind of maiden. If you get my meaning, then obviously this song is perfect for that. Whereas if you want to hear, you know, it, it's not like this song and say a song like Brighter Than a Thousand Suns really serve the same purpose. By any stretch of the imagination, I very feel they're very different. Very different. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, um, mm. and you listen to them different ways, and that's the thing. When you got a band that has as many albums as many songs, you know, not every song is going to make you feel the same way and make you. It's not not every song is going to work, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. So you got to be in a kind of you know, like, but like if I'm at a, if I'm at a you know you're up drinking for some friends in the middle of the night and there's a kind of party atmosphere, I'm probably going to put this on and not say. I mean, prior to a thousand songs. <laughs> yeah, it's more entertaining, really. And back when mm. we started this podcast, or when we prepared for the first recording of it in late September last year, I thought that yeah, Bring It Order is coming on fairly soon, so I might as well prepare a clip for it. That's almost half a year ago now, not really, but four months ago. But I'm still sitting mm. on this clip, <laughs> so I, of course I have to play it. Uh, we featured a yep. couple of clips from Twenty Two Acacia Avenue from O Three. And uh, this is from Bring It Over from the same year, same concert. And, um, yeah, let me see here where it is. How the hell are you tonight, Owen? <laughs> ah, I forgot to ask that. It was very rude of me, wasn't it? Very rude of me. Well, lock up your daughters, all right?
better ye not. Your turn next. Chick, chick. I know, I know it's uh, the, as a magician shouldn't sort of uh, reveal his tricks, but uh, for full disclosure, we took a bit of a break because of technical difficulties. Yeah, uh, everything, so. everything stopping at once. But yeah, we did listen to this clip from 03 with uh, Bring a Daughter, and uh, I think it's a really, it's a really good rally up. Hit us there with the seeing, yeah, yeah, oh, oh yeah, 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 and then that mm, incredibly yeah. long tone, basically just flexing his his vocal abilities and getting the crowd routed up he's telling them like you think you're tough and you know let's try you and then how it kind of seamlessly kicks in with the vocal cue mm. honey it's getting close to midnight and then the whole band comes in it's very professionally done you know mm. that's how you should do a live how you should do a live show and like uh, what's your initial reactions hearing this it's a very effective thing i i do remember when they played it uh when i saw them the first time i saw me in stockholm in on that tour no prayer on the road tour they had that very long intro, and I thought, being 15, I was, I was more than keen to join in on the yay, yay, yay. And, and uh, then when he was kicking into reverse, I, my memory is that he actually did it. He, he wasn't in, you know, he wasn't properly in time, so they weren't really oh. ready for him. But, <laughs> you know, as soon as they would have, then yeah. he can sort of continue, so... Probably got more professional by 2003 because there it really gels over very yeah. professionally, like a full-on show band. You know, there is really entertainment at this point, and I guess you know I'm mm. often a, an advocate of music being entertainment. Of yeah. course, it can be art, but I think first and foremost, it's entertainment, and this is an entertaining song. Mm. And we must always also remember that the No Prayer on the Road tour. I mean, they were intentionally going out to be very low-key, very rock and roll. No no stage props and stuff like that. So I guess it was more of a loose vibe anyway. So yeah. this, they could incorporate stuff like that and it happened the way it happened. Sure. And I mean, this, this O3 bootleg, as Eric addressed before, is a brilliant bootleg. It's really good. And Bruce yeah, is, I re I really like one, Bruce yeah. is mm -hmm. probably drunk on this one. You know, <laughs> I think it's safe <laughs> to say. Or if he's not drunk, he's in an incredibly good mood, you know, mm -hmm. because he's being very... Uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Obnoxious, you know, Dennis the Menace. 
kind mm. of front man in this show, and I like I th- it. I, I, th- I think I think because I've seen clips, uh, video clips, well from that. I think he was. I think he was. Uh, uh, I think I think it was more so more so mood than uh, than alcohol. I think it doesn't really mm. matter. He doesn't have an alcohol oh. problem, so you know. No, 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 no. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. It's fine one way yeah. or the other. I mean, either yeah. way, either way, really. But I I love this bootleg, and maybe that was start of me rediscovering this song when we were <clears> pre- preparing for Made in AZ, and I was looking for live versions and. This one has not been played since then, nor mm-hmm. has any other song from No Prayer. Or am I right? No, no, that's definitely true. They did play Tail Gunner in 92, if I'm not remembering weirdly. But since then, only Bring Your Daughter. Yeah, and not even Bring Your Daughter for the past almost 20 years by now. You know, We're mm-hmm. looking at 18 years with no material from this album. And maybe it's a pity. In a sense, it's a bit of a pity. Yeah. Because I think this album as weak as it is compared to Seventh Son, it's mm. still an album that could have had some really enjoyable live moments for a younger audience. Listening to songs like Tail Gunner, uh, Fate's Warning, or, or this one, you know, uh, they, they work well live. It's a very energetic record in that sense. I think it would be, I mean, I think everyone would appreciate hearing a song from No Prayer of the Dying, even though it maybe it's not everyone's favorite, but it's going to be, you know, putting more stuff in there. I mean, just the yeah. way that uh, For the Greater Good of God on the Legacy of the Beast tour was really a wild card in my world. It was. So, I mean, and I think that it's great just because you didn't really, ex- you didn't really expect it there. And I think that uh, No Prayer, and Prayer for the Dying track could work the same way in a set list. Yeah. Possibly. Well, also, I like the way they musically in the song, how they pick the chords in the verses, the kind of kind of thing, mm. which they did a little bit back then. We addressed it in Assassin as well. Mm. Just, you know, to kind of color things. It's a bit textured in a sense, this song, where, where I think a song like From Here to Eternity kind of fails in that department, that this is more, to me, more textured, more dynamic. It has an arc to it. It's a bit of a storytelling song, even though the story itself, it's pretty much nothing, right? Or... Have you, yeah, you have but a d- I, deeper analysis of it? <laughs> I don't. I don't have a deep analysis of it at all. But I think it's it's Bruce being the storyteller. I mean, he's sort of the vocals on No Prayer for the Dying are very you know shouty and raspy and weird in a way. But on that yeah. song, he's a lot. He's. I mean, it sort of works because he's sort of like, "Honey, it's getting close to midnight." I mean, it's yeah. a, a lot more drama to it. Yeah. yeah, a lot more engagement. I would say I, I like it. It mm. comes in quite late at the album too, uh, where I think it's well well placed in the grand scheme of things regarding this album. But yeah. it, it it gives a bit of energy to the to the latter quarter of the album. Mm. I would say. Yeah. What do you think, Eric? Well, I'm I'm just reading the lyrics here, and it, it's like it's a typical. It's not entirely. I mean, you, there's the, the water's not very deep. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> but, yeah. But I think th- I think I think probably what he wanted to do was, it's like I said before, it, it's it works perfect for what it was supposed to be, and that was a you know a song and sort of that sort of featured in a, in a horror movie. Um, mm. Lyric wise, doesn't have very much to do with that, but it does have this kind of spooky kind of vibe, and I think that's just kind of what he was, you know, um, what he was going for, and it, it works. Spooky in a rowdy way, right? That's what I feel. Yeah, it's yeah, not like yeah, yeah. a ghost of perdition by Opeth or something like that. This is more, you know, again, I'm no, using... Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think there's slightly deeper waters in the yeah, Opeth song than this yeah, but one. Also more ghost, <laughs> uh, well, what I was aiming to were more ghostly, you know, more haunting vibes. This is not that haunting or uh, chilling your spine. This is, uh, you know, rowdy, kind of sexy Halloween, if you will. Uh, terrible sure, yeah. concept. Sure, yeah. Well, definitely, yeah. <laughs> terrible concept, but that's, that's it, you know, and 
and Charlotte yeah. with this kind of red dress, tight red dress, and and uh, Eddie holding up a hammer on on the on the front on illustration the, of it. If you've seen yeah, that, yeah, there's yeah. also another front illustration where Eddie is Grim Reaper, like out on the fields. Mm. I don't know which one was first. Uh, I've seen both on singles. I think they all were all released at the same time, and they are, I think, the key to the number one spot on the British list because they released it in two. Uh, seven-inch formats, one picture disc and one with the Grim Reaper. And then they had the picture disc 12-inch and the poster bag 12-inch. And mm -hmm. then add to that the CD version. So, yeah. and, you, and you know, fans go out and buy all these and that, I guess that counts as five copies, right? Yeah. So, must, yeah, it should, yeah. Mm -hmm. must. Good idea, actually, on their part. Yeah, I definitely. I th I, I, as I understand it, that was more or less planned to do so just because around because it was released around christmas as well so not a lot happening then yeah so they there was less competition as well yeah i was just going to ask that from the music business standpoint if it was released at a certain timing where you kind of win because there's less competition and there you go mm. uh, a christmas single and also the contrast to the christmas joy that we discussed back in our holiday special here you have a contrast bring it order to the slaughter you know on the family yeah. holiday very fitting for a for a hard rocker or a mm. what do you call them earth dogs headliners yeah. <laughs> you know? B bbc refused to play it even though i mean it was number one they should have it on top of the pops but they refused mm -hmm. to play it so that's probably good uh, good um, pr that's, too. that's very good advertising yeah. yeah good pr like uh, bands like uh, behemoth recently and ghost before that if you make the christians angry it's not really a big problem for your metal band but it's good pr mm. yeah <laughs> really is right Definitely, yeah. yeah. Good choice of a single. I'm sure I've heard somewhere, I think this is a fact, that they intended to release Hooks in You as the single, the lead single for this album, but they didn't because Adrian dropped out. I have some vague idea of having read that, but I'm not sure how true that is, really. But yeah, Adrian dropping out might have been the reason for everything being... Do you, do you know which one which one was the lead single was it holy smoke or holy smoke one? was the first one yeah 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 i think uh, i'm quite sure that holy smoke was like a backup option they brought it in because they didn't want to release a single featuring adrian's songwriting but i'm not sure mm. maybe they also kind of devalued hooks in you after a while could be either way i must i must look this up because it i'm rather stunned that i don't really know nothing mm. about it <laughs> yeah mm. yeah this is not a matter of life and death, right? This is your era. <laughs> it should be, yeah. 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 So I don't know, uh, any other comments maybe on the music? We haven't touched that much on, on the actual way they present this musically. Well, the the, op the opening is a very, is very AC-DC. Yeah. <laughs> it's that stretch chord that we discussed. It's very, mm -hmm. very dumb. Uh, good tempo uh, is, I think is the right yeah. correct mm. tempo for a song like this with it's plodding but it's also with some energy with some a little bit of fire to it yeah uh, chorus is also quite DC is ish DC ish is AC DC like isn't it the chorus yeah. oh definitely even the the towards the end of the song you got the Leading up to the um, last chorus, where there's first there's a when you go from the the volume swells and just the you know just bass and like guitar doing volume swells to the 
that, that lick, the uh, do 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 that that mm-hmm. one, and those Bruce singings. That, that's I mean, even that bit. If you get rid of the um, the the guitar bit, it kind of it does that. That also sounds kind of ACDC. Yeah. Uh, let's listen a bit to that from Wardrock as well. The the ending bit and how they yeah. how they kind of mm-hmm. approach it. Yeah, there you go. Is this kind go. of mm-hmm. a call and response thing, you know, that you find in uh, a lot of um, old blues music, where you have the bring your daughter, fetch your daughter, bring mm-hmm. your daughter, fetch your daughter, and I think it's it's fairly effective. Uh, it's a cool little breakdown. It's not overly mm-hmm. long, so it doesn't really derive from the song or lose energy. But I think it really builds up into that uh, Seventh Son part or Marian Faithful part, if you will, uh, which is really yeah. really cool. There's even a little. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. There's even a little harmony guitar underneath, you know, the palm muted tick 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 thing. And mm-hmm. then with, with Bruce's uh, melody on top of it, I think it's uh, a good peak for the song. And when you throw it back to the chorus, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel disjointed. Uh, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, in a rocker, if you throw in a dramatic part like this, sometimes it feels like it's just thrown in there. It's not part mm-hmm. of the song. Mm-hmm. But here, here, Bruce managed to make it part of the song. And I think it goes to show that this is a brilliant composition. Yeah, it's still it's very concise and it still maintains the drive all the way through, even yeah. though sort of it dynamically goes a bit more quiet. Yeah. I mean, those little callbacks to Seventh Son on No Prayer, I think they can be a saving grace sometimes, you know, to feel that this is still, this is still Iron Maiden in a sense. Not too much yeah. have happened. And I think this is one of them cool song and also uh, for your listeners you can check out the 03 version i think it's a really good energetic kick in the crotch mm. if you will and also the, the the bruce's solo version is also yeah i gotta check the... that out i'm not familiar with that uh, you mm. like it more you said i think so yeah i think i think uh yeah yeah it feels yeah. kind of uh less polished yeah yeah, well, no, I don't know. I'm just sitting here thinking this must be the only UK number one that also won a Golden Raspberry Award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the Bruce, the Bruce version won an award for worst original song in 1989 when it was recorded for the, for the soundtrack to Nightmare on Main Street. Oh, really? Worst original song? Yeah. It's <laughs> almost a feather in your hat, you know. You kind of want to write the worst song. That's hard even if you try, right? Yeah. And to... And to have the song go number one a year later is even more of a feather in the hat. Yeah, wow. It's an, it's an entire plume. <laughs> Nicely divisive, you know. Bruce, yeah. famous, Bruce famously doesn't really like uh, civil servants, and here he's proving he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what can you say? Uh, we could discuss if it's on the list or not. Uh, uh, for me, I, I, at least for the time being, I want to put it on there. Hendrik? No, I am, I'm 
saving spots on the list for other songs. I was going to as well, even though I really dig this song. I was thinking maybe I should, but also I put the assassin on here. And now Eric said yes, so it is on for now. Mm-hmm. All right, there mm-hmm. we go. For yeah. now. Hard to see it in the top 50, but that's, you know. No, that, I don't think it will be either, but I mean, I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, we'll see. That's kind of a nice problem we're creating for ourselves. Yeah, so. definitely. Was an, a, a, an embarrassment of riches, as I yeah. said at some point. That's right. <laughs> that's yeah. right. The Iron Maiden catalog <laughs> surely is. And an embarrassment of riches. It's been an interesting one to touch on these two songs. Yeah. Um, almost rounding off the bees. We have another little gem for next time, like mm-hmm. a, a little extra bee in there. Uh, Henrik, an extra B, yes. Uh, Henrik will be on with us as well, so it's going to be a good I will one. be. I will be yeah. on. The B. Do we have any mm-hmm. house, <laughs> housekeeping to do, Eric? No, not, I think we should, we should probably save some of that, but we, we got some stuff we could do. Uh, we, I think uh, we've, been, we've been getting a lot of nice uh, uh, emails and uh, messages just in general, yeah. and uh, that's very fun. Uh, I, I don't have any of them here, but I figure at some point we're going to do a... We're going we're gonna to get better reading them. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the actual episodes. I'll, I'll touch on one in the next episode with the three of us. Yeah. I think we got a little time for that in the beginning. So we, yeah. I don't want to tack it on at the end either. No, 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 no. no that makes sense. So, yeah. So that's it for this time. And uh, hope you tune in next week or next day. Maybe you're not listening to this on the actual release day. I don't know. But, uh, and uh, you should, guys, you should, uh, if you want to, uh, feel free to join our Facebook group. You can look for your search for Maiden A to Z, Friends of the Beast. Uh, come and join us. It's uh, it's fun, you know. We, you know, Jonathan posts a lot of cool, like there's polls and there's, you know, just people. You can just post anything you want, maiden related, and uh, yeah, we have a good time. So, f- yeah. please join us and uh, follow the Instagram as well. I was happy to see. Yeah, I, yeah. I got like four four hundred likes for a photo with Tony Iommi and Clive Burr in the same photo. <laughs> yeah, I oh, was that? Be- <laughs> no, I'm assuming it's because I of Iommi, right? Probably, but I think any hard rocking guy, the heart should melt if you see a photo with Clive and Tony in the same photo. Let's see, we, we at the moment have exactly 300, 400 uh, likes on that one. Yeah, popular one. That's that's insane. Yeah, that's cool. In the hand of doom <laughs> himself. Yep. And Clive, of course, rest in power, as I said. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay. See you next week, guys. Yes. Up the Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>